Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to the PR Weekly, where PR industry news, analysis and gossip come out to play. In this episode, we are going to discuss the launch of GB News, which has already received a brand backlash, ethnic and gender pay gaps, and a spat between Ronaldo and Coca-Cola, as well as the passing of two industry luminaries. Today I'm joined by Sarah Waddington, the MD of Astute and founder of Futureproof, also the former president of the CIPR. Now, over the weekend, Sarah was awarded a CBE for services to the PR industry. How are you going, Sarah? Really great. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. And and we're covering some fascinating subjects and talking about some amazing men. So uh, lots to cover. And I have to say, still very shell-shocked about the weekend's news, but thrilled to bits. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come to that in a second. Tell us a little bit about the CBE. Was it a bit of a surprise to you to receive it? Yeah, huge, huge surprise, actually. So I had no idea about the application, but also about the process. It's never something I've done for somebody else. I know that since I've been awarded it, other PR practitioners said to me, oh, I know all about that. I did that for so-and-so who's my CEO or whatever. But this was completely new to me. And um um, my lovely client and friend Jen Robson at the Northeast Lab um, apparently uh, secretly approached was uh, last summer and said, um, "I think Sarah would be suitable um, for putting forward for an award. What do you think?" And the two of them <laughs> had co-conspired, had put an application. I have no idea how, and um, gathered supporting letters. And and so yeah. Um, I got a letter. I didn't know anything until I got an email, actually, um, probably three weeks ago now. And it came in at two minutes uh, to six on a Thursday. And suffice to say, I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Congratulations, by the way. Thank I mean, you. how did it make you feel for all the hard work and years you've put into the industry? Ah, oh, um, do you know what? It, I, I am absolutely, utterly delighted. Uh, and um, like I say, I am quite shell-shocked and still processing. But I, you've got to remember that I, I've never worked in isolation. Uh, I've been really fortunate to be surrounded by some really great people who are great leaders in their own right and, and take future proof. You know, what's helped me establish that? Um, but that it only works because of the community behind it. You know, we've got, uh, what is it, six books now. They're all, you know, co-authored. And, and so I think this award stands for kind of all the work that everybody's put in. And you know what's been really lovely? Um, as I've been 
kind of blown away by the messages because I have to say I've not yet got control of my social media I certainly haven't got control of my email and now the post is coming and it's it's quite something but I think people have said overwhelmingly and this is what's lovely um that they're really pleased to see a public relations leader acknowledged and the recognition for that and that what that means for our industry and that they hope I will use that and the industry can use it um as a platform and so that's something I'm really trying to think about and I think for as an industry I'd love us to think collectively about what do we do and how do we do that because you know we have such an important contribution to business um and we bring such value to organizations um i think COVID has really helped reinforce that and bring that to the fore but we need to use that and and keep that momentum going and and yeah something to think about i guess Absolutely. Well, I think I speak for a lot of people in in the industry when I say that it is absolutely thoroughly deserved. So well done. Oh, thank you. I'm still blushing. So like, so I'm like so cringy about it, but I am utterly grateful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, unfortunately, we have to move along to some sad news over the weekend. Um, the PR industry lost two of its brightest lights in former Burson Marstella chair Bob Leaf and Robert Phillips, who led Edelman and his own consultancy Jericho Chambers for several years um, before dying of cancer. Um, now, Sarah, you knew both of the Roberts fairly well. Uh, let's start off with Bob Leaf. What can you tell me about the man and the legacy that he left behind in PR? <laughs> I'm the legend. I'm the legend. So, do you know, I probably knew Bob. I'm not massively close to either and certainly um, knew Bob Leaf better than, than Robert Phillips. But um, Bob... <laughs> what can I say about Bob? I, I was immensely fond of Bob and I, I was really upset that we came when I read the news, actually. People will be aware he was dubbed the father of public relations. And if you've ever read his book, uh, which I've got right next to me here, the signed copy he gave me, The Art of Perception, Memoirs of a Life in PR, you, you will absolutely know why. I mean, the stories in that, forget Mad Men, this is, this is the real thing. This is the real stuff. Like, you've got everything. You know, you've got the silhouette picture on the front. You've got um, stories about martinis. You've, you've You've got uh, global travel. You've got a wonderful love story about his wife, Adele, you know, everything. And you know what? That would come through um, from the minute you met him. And Bob um, was very generous and he sought me out when I became um, president of the CIPR. He, yeah, he contacted me and it was the start of a, what I would call a really lovely and, and engaging relationship. And, you know, we were in contact. Um, I, I think I feel a bit guilty because actually it kind of tails off this year, but we were in contact by email until last year and um he he came to the CIPR 70th anniversary at St Brides at the start of my uh, presidential year and he was just brilliant from that point we actually caught up a few times we went for breakfast he, we, uh, he took uh, Wads and I out for dinner you know wherever you were he'd tout his book literally I went for breakfast with him and he'd have his book with him or he'd be handing out cards and saying you need to read my book and you know what he always got a sale I was mortified I would be mortified like absolutely <laughs> I was like Bob what are you doing um but he, he was he was just he was brilliant and he was sparkling and his new york accent uh, accent was just absolutely really adorable and he was a terrible flirt and he just was just so much it was just so much fun i mean he came to uh, the CIP had a northern conference in newcastle in july i think it was july of that year um 2018 and 
he was the last session and you know what he was by far he smashed it like everybody sat there everybody's on the literally sat at the front of their seat they were pouring over every single world he was absolutely naughty i had to stop him several times with his anecdotes and it's like bob you literally can't because i'd heard them before i was like you literally can't tell this you <laughs> cannot tell this story right now and he was he was just wonderful and obviously his whole work was related to what he called perception management and what he meant by that was how how to understand how to understand how your relevant audiences saw your organization and and how would how you could kind of improve that perception he was a really smart innovative thinker and um yeah just a really great guy you know he sounds absolutely amazing and obviously left a huge mark on the industry and i just personally like to offer my condolences to Bob Leaf's family and friends. But what about uh, Robert Phillips? Now, now, he co-founded Jackie Cooper PR, spent many years leading Edelman in the UK and EMEA before setting up his own business. What can you recall about um, Robert's legacy and how he was as a man? Yeah, so again, I have to, I'm going to be very honest, I'm not the best person. I, I wasn't close friends with him and I didn't work very closely with him. But um, the experience I had with him, again, um, did leave a, a big impression. So um, I met him when he was in, had, had set up Jericho Chambers. And um, he was another lovely person who, out of sheer generosity, contacted me uh, at the beginning when I was trying to establish Future Proof and um, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he had seen stuff in there that he believed and he had been writing about and he was just really generous in terms of getting in touch and he helped me um, con- connect with people that he thought be, be, that would be useful and that would push my thinking. So for example, Robert introduced me to Tomorrow's Company uh, who then invited me to a roundtable on trust, truth and transparency in business which is a subject really close to his heart and um i think what was really interesting about um robert is that again a really another inquiring mind another very provocative um person but actually um with the right intentions and you know what when he wrote trust me pr is dead um i or i like many took a little bit of umbrage at the title i was a bit like oh here we go again i'm sick of everybody talking this industry down but actually when you when you read the book um there were many really important salient points in there and he was well before his time uh and actually do you know what the discomfort that he used to leave with people is something that i believe we need to embrace uh, as an industry to learn and change, you know, I think we've seen it recently this past year with diversity and inclusion, you know, that there has been a, a very much uh, discomfort with some of the finger pointing that's gone on with some of the, the issues, the big uh, endemic issues that we've had to address. But that has been really important because, and I hate to use this phrase, but we may be able to push the needle forward. We've, there has been a step change, a shift in the industry that was much needed. And, you know, I kind of think that um, Bob and Robert always had this at their core that's what they did that's how they lived and breathed and I just think they they were great leaders and the industry has lost two greats in this past few days absolutely absolutely well once again I'd just like to offer my condolences to Robert Phillips's family and friends now there are some really fantastic obituaries about the lives of Bob Leaf and Robert Phillips on the PR Week PRCA and Provoke website so I would encourage you to go and check them all out Um, right Sarah let's move along to ethnic and gender pay gaps now PR Week has launched a new project um, with people like us um, supported by the PRCA and Women in PR, uh, which is to provide greater transparency of ethnic and gender pay gaps in the industry. Um, 
Now, recent research from our top 150 consultancies found one in five agencies employ no non-white staff um, at all, and almost 80% had all white boards. Now, there's been good progress over the years. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but good progress in terms of gender pay gap reporting. But that sort of data is really lacking when it comes to ethnicity. What is your view on how much gender pay transparency has helped shift the dial when it comes to promoting gender equality in business? Um, well, to be honest, I don't I don't think it really has. I've always been quite pissed, actually, that the government only made it mandatory for organisations size 250 plus. And I've always said that, actually, do you know what? If you're a business with more than two people, you should be publishing uh, mm. this data. You know, what's been really great, if you, if you look to where people have done this well, the it's not often you can say this, but the big accountancy, the big four accountancy practices actually got their head around this quite a while ago. You know, they're, they're knocking on, what, five to ten years that they've actually been publishing um, uh, ethnicity and, and gender pay gap of reporting. And I, I just kind of think it, for me, if you don't have to be transparent, there is no real incentive to be doing it unless you are really 100% committed to the cause. And I'm afraid for both businesses, and I think it is most businesses, for a whole raft of reasons, you know, it, it is the number one priority. So anything for me that forces businesses to think about how they are hiring and nurturing and looking after their talent and and remunerating them critically and incentivizing them has got to be hugely welcomed. Yeah I mean it's one of those things isn't it where you know businesses can talk all the talk they want to but if they're not actually taking actions and walking the walk then it's bullshit. It's kind of meaningless isn't it? It is just PR essentially. Now there is there is a lack of transparency though, isn't there? Like there's a lot of people in the industry who probably want to talk a good game about diversity and what they're doing, all these programs they're planning to implement, but there's very little in terms of evidence of what's actually being achieved. Yeah, and you look at the industry industry reports, so this CIPR state of the profession and the PR census by the PRCA, and we're just not shifting. It's it's not good, you know. Like uh, it might be we have um, an increase in the number. Uh, uh, black and ethnic um, minority practitioners, but they tend to be in junior roles, and that is not good enough. It's just not good enough. Um, and you know what? Change isn't easy. I appreciate it takes time. I, cha- I appreciate you have to get the management buy-in, and I appreciate it's probably going to be fairly costly in the in the in the first instance. But you know what? There isn't an excuse these days for not doing it. Um, as you know, I, I sit on the board of the Blueprint, um, which is Elizabeth Vananuka's incredible initiative and you know what it is hard to get that blueprint if you look at the process it is difficult my organization hasn't got it yet because you know what we're only halfway through working through what what is necessary in order uh to to get that uh and i think but at least it gives you the steps to do that i I think part of the issue as well to be fair to to you know to entrepreneurs like me it can sometimes feel quite overwhelming in terms of knowing where to start but again if you are forced to report in terms of your ethnic and gender pay gap it's a great start because you've nowhere to go after that and to be honest kudos to the people who've done that up front without having had to because you know you know that they're the ones who actually give a shit about this yeah, absolutely. And the Blueprint is an absolutely fantastic program. So I would encourage all agencies to get involved with that as well. But very much um, encourage agents. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. ...and in-house teams to take part in this new project that PR Week is leading to provide greater transparency over pay gap reporting. Now, the big media story of the past week has been the launch of GB News on Sunday. Welcome to the launch of GB News, Britain's news channel dedicated to covering the news that matters to you and to giving a voice to those who felt sidelined or even silenced in our great national debates. Because if it matters to you, it matters to us. GB News will not slavishly follow the existing news agenda. We're not a rolling news channel, nor will we be providing conventional news bulletins. Look, it's only been a few days, but there's already been a backlash um, from some brands. Um, you know, the likes of Grolsch, the beer brand, Nivea, uh, Copenberg Cider. Uh, they've already said they're going to boycott the channel. And some other brands have said that they'll review whether they want their ads placed on the channel and that they were not aware um, the ads had been running on it. Firstly, uh, Sarah, I'm really keen to get your impressions of GB News. Have you, have you had a chance to check it out? Uh, what, what do you think of it? I've had a, a small look, uh, and I know this is not going to surprise you, Robin, but it's not massively my bag. But obviously, you have to have a nosy. And I just, I have got a watching brief on this. I think too too early to call how this is gone, how this is going to go. But um, wow, um, interesting start. Uh, watching uh, people's perspectives, like particularly people like Jim Waterson, who's uh, the media editor of The Guardian, and just seeing general pieces um, come through in the mainstream. Um, obviously, they've all, all got, um, they're all biased for their own reasons. It's difficult to have that objectivity, but it's it's fascinating. And I think what is most interesting to me is that where they're going to go with it. They don't have rolling news on the hour. They are going to take topics and they have different presenters uh, every hour so they can talk about things in more depth. Mm. I just I want to know how are they going to fill this time? They've got an older demographic in terms of viewers. You know, young people don't watch the the, t- uh, the TV. I, I do laugh at the fact that Downing Street allegedly called it Gavin Britain News because of their because of that demographic. Um, but um, yeah, I just I'm interested where will it go how will it fill the time they're not like if there's a breaking if there's a breaking incident they're not going to have news crews going to it i think they could find that tough but equally i think where they may win is where you know if they get somebody who's quite controversial and something has happened they they may not have the views tuned in then at that point but they can package it up for social and it will go viral and yeah. that's you know that's quite powerful because where attention is, that's where the money comes, isn't it? I read that um, their business model isn't so much actually being ad funded. Uh, where the, the sort of um, business model they want to go down, and, and I think they're going to roll this out eventually. Subscription. Subscriptions. Subscription yeah, model. absolutely. Yeah. You know, like like a standard Fox News type type model. So people keep talking about Fox. Um, you know, the, people are saying Fox is the the closest competitor, but I don't think you can bring that that comparison because obviously fox is subscription but there is no one governing u.s media like we have ofcom yeah. so probably talk news lbc across here i'm also interested in the fact that they have uh, apparently invested in regional 
um, presence, which actually is lacking elsewhere. You know, the BBC have come under fire for that. Um, you know, the Nationals don't necessarily have huge number of correspondents up, uh, as I'm up north, so I'm in Newcastle, but up here. And sometimes we can feel a little bit left out. So maybe that will, maybe that will work for them. But, you know, they say, what I, what I heard was that the TV element mm. is the least that yes, it's important. They want to launch it. They want it to be successful. But ultimately, this subscription model for fans is where, where and where viewers can engage with hosts is where they the long term thinking and, and plan is at. Yeah, I have to also say that I'm a little bit surprised in in terms of the way they're positioning this. Firstly, it's not a news channel. Uh, let, let's be let's be honest about it. Yeah, it's not. Um, secondly, they want to champion sort of you know the unheard voices in the regions. Why why are they based in Paddington if that is the case? Why not be based in Newcastle or, or Leeds or, or somewhere else? That, that that that's sort of at the heart of of the the regions because, where, where because where they Andrew want to Neil them. Andrew Neil has to fly in from the south of France, so that's why. <laughs> I mean, that, I understand that he's he's obviously a figurehead, but he, he's got one show. There are lots of other mm. presenters there. It, it just mm. seems a little bit strange. Now, in terms of its ongoing success, what do you think it really needs to do to to get cut through? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of hype around it it's its first week but as we look you know three to six months down the track what do you think it really needs to do to attract some of these regional audiences that you're very familiar with yeah i think this is this is the million dollar question i have been racking my brains about it as i've said you know they've already they've already got a smaller demographic in terms of that older audience of people who don't feel they're being served which is is quite fascinating to me as well anyway i listened to um i mentioned jim before jim what uh jim jim's surname jim waterston jim waterston thank you very much um from the guardian uh, on their podcast about this and he just said you know how many it's really interesting because once you've done let's pull down all the statues and you've done that story uh and um all the kind of woke and uh, woke stories that they absolutely hate um, you know, where do you go? Like literally what, what is left? Because if you've covered them all, you're really struggling to find new content. And that's really where I'm kind of like, what what is it you're thinking and what are the stories from the regions that you're going to get? Mm. I know that Rachel Sweeney, who's the Northeast correspondent, has been working really hard out and about and her social is full of, um, you know, getting things ready and rehearsals and how the studio is now complete and, you know, people that she's been meeting. But it doesn't look that different to what you see elsewhere. And I wonder whether the hype has been just to get it launched and it will just settle down and become fairly mainstream. I mean, the thing that bothers me really is that, you know, this whole premise is that they're going to fight the woke culture war. And I just think (laughs) it's a absolute disgrace and and I hate the word spin but it's just bullshit the people behind this are very wealthy elite people so we're still being controlled by a small minority of mainly white people with their own agenda you know got people who have sat in the house of lords who are behind this you've got Andrew Neil who's you know to all intents and purposes known as a, a conservative or at least right uh right-wing thinker you know it's just I just think we're it's yeah it's it's one to watch and it's difficult to call but let's just see if they can maintain the audiences in the in the next couple of weeks but as you've seen you know it's really hard for brands to know where their ads are being served uh and um, the reaction is really quite interesting um already like you say copperberg and many others are pulling out or others also holding a, a watching brief and then deciding what to do from them 
Do, do you think this is just a reaction by some brands that, that have clearly positioned themselves as, as having a certain certain um, ethical compass? Um, do, do you think, do you see more brands following suit? And, and the other question I wanted to ask you as well is where do you sort of see, you're wearing your, your sort of comms hat, where, where do you see the PR opportunities for brands um, to sort of engage with GB News? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think um, it makes absolute sense there are certain brands who, and I hate the word woke and what, whatever that's supposed to stand for. I Most people will know that I'm pretty uh, liberal left. Um, and I will, you know, if people haven't got a voice, I'll be there hopefully, you know, doing the right thing and speaking on their behalf. So I think if you're a brand that sets your stall with those kind of values, it's really important that, that you know, you make sure that you're not advertising on a channel or actually they're, they're perhaps working against minorities, which, you know, let, let's face it, can can often happen here. Um, so it will be really interesting to see what happens. And, and I think it will be very dependent on the tone and the content and, um, you know, how they respond to the reaction that they've had to date. And for brands, I just think, you know, the opportunity is just very much to be true to your values. If you are ballsy and brash and you are actually quite irreverent, maybe that's the place for you. And, you know, there is a home for everyone. And that's your audience. If you are audiences, as Downing Street said, and I'm using inverted commas, gam- <laughs> if you're looking to target gammon, maybe this is the, the perfect media partner. <laughs> maybe it is maybe it is well i'll have to say i've seen it a few times i've seen some very very interesting topics being discussed i think there was one um that i saw this morning it was a video actually on social media um where they were asking about whether um prince andrew's pedophilia was was more controversial than than harry and Meghan, and, and whether that oh, was right and, and they had some lady on there um who tried to explain the different types of pedophilia and, and it, i just thought wow this is this is... I mean, this is what I mean there. We are scraping the bottom of the barrel. If you're having to compare paedophilia with two two royals who have, are they still royals? I'm not sure they are, but two royals who have had a baby, a second baby. I'm like, really? There is no comparison. If you if you have if you are racist and you've got a problem with that, this this is what I mean. You're a brand and you you're watching that play out, and clearly the the issues with Meghan, I do believe, are to do with racism. You're going to want to get out of there. I mean, it's just not. It's not an environment I'm comfortable in. I don't know what I want to watch on my, on my TV. Well, I'm sure it'll, it'll certainly be one to watch anyway, just to sort of see how GB News settles down, see how it evolves, and see if you can overcome some of those quite um, glaring technical glitches <laughs> that, that it seems to encounter every now and again. Speaking of royalty, in our final segment of this episode, we are going to discuss Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo and his public spat with Coca-Cola at the Euro 220 press conference. And in sport, Cristiano Ronaldo already having a huge impact on the Euro 2020 championships. This was the moment the Portuguese superstar decided he didn't want to promote the tournament sponsor Coca-Cola during a press conference. Now, Ronaldo replaced a bottle of Coke positioned in front of him with a bottle of water and encouraged his fans to drink water instead. Now, Coke has responded by saying everybody is entitled to their drink preferences with different tastes and needs. Just today, French star Paul Pogba removed a bottle of Heineken from his own press conference setting. Sarah, what is your take on this and the idea of sports athletes as influencers, as well as unhealthy products promoting elite sport? Yeah, it's an interesting one, this. And I was quite surprised because I, I, and I need to research this, I'm pretty sure that was not Christian Ronaldo aligned with Coca-Cola at some point in the past. I'm sure that I have seen something with him and 
you know, promoting Coke and, and KFC. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean, he's done so many different deals in the past. And, um, you know, obviously, it's great that he's promoting a healthy message. I mean, there is nothing wrong with drinking more water. That's what every doctor in the land would advocate. But interesting that he's done that. And, you know, it's it's... I would love to know more about the motives behind that. I would hope it wouldn't be just commercial in terms of that he hasn't got a personal deal anymore. I mean, obviously, mm. you can understand Pogba an awful an awful lot more, but surely that comes as part of the territory. And I think in terms of sports people as influencers, we, we know they are. That's why they get these high-profile sponsorship deals. It's why, you know, there was this big hoo-ha about um fantastic um, tennis player who recently had to step down from the French Open, you know. Naomi Osaka. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt that was really badly handled on uh, for her, by the way. You know, if you, if you have mental health issues, you have to, you, you have to handle that a lot more sensitively than, than she she got mm. but um, you know they, they are you know they're big stars they're incredible at what they do people aspire to them so of course their behavior um, people want to copy it they want to wear what they're wearing they want to drink what they're drinking but I'm absolutely fascinated by it I think it's a, a short-term blip for coke to be honest but um, you know obviously very hard to manage and I wouldn't want to wouldn't have wanted to be the comms team <laughs> in the meantime yeah exactly I mean it sounds like a, a bit of a, a bit of a crisis for those particular brands do you think though when you sort of sponsor a major event like this I mean, coca-cola has so many different ranges um, of drinks including healthier options do you think coke probably should have ensured Knowing that that Ronaldo is a bit of a health freak, he has said things about soft drinks in the past before. Do you think they should have been a little bit more careful to ensure that you know it was a water or a zero sugar option that was placed in front of him? Do you know, I'd be really surprised if some kind of conversation hadn't taken place. You know, good comms people would have had all that covered. Um, it's very difficult. I mean, from one Coke can to another these days, it's quite difficult. I, um, you know, Coke Zero is the one I like best, but it looks very much like a, a Coke can. Uh, I, I, I think. I don't think it's to do with whichever one was in front of him. I think it was probably just a pointed, you know, I was going to say attack. It wasn't an attack, but it was it, it was a, you know, a pointed move against the company. It was the fact that it was Coca Cola and uh, rather than rather than the type of drink it was, to my mind. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time, Sarah, but thank you so much for joining the PR Weekly. Um, and thank you to our listeners. If you'd like to find out any more about the major stories this week, please visit our website, prweek.com forward slash UK. Also, a big thanks to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio for putting this episode together. Um, now, next week, we'll be taking a break. So please join us in a fortnight. Until next time, goodbye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.